When is a bad time to borrow money? A bad thing to borrow money for is something which is not going to increase your productivity or your income or anything going forward. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning again, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. And welcome to another exciting second hour of the Personal Wealth Coach, where we will talk about the dismal science in a very exciting way, as if that will make it better. Um, We did have a question that we touched on just a bit at the end of last hour. We had two questions, actually. Roger sent in about, will the financial crisis in China make it more likely to attack Taiwan to capture its wealth. And then we answered it. And he said, you answered my question just after I hit send. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's because really fast we read mine. Yeah. And he said, is it possible the situation in China might make the attack sooner than five years? Yes. It's also possible mm-hmm. that it won't. And that's, the, that's the, point, the deal. The point is, I think this is my assessment, and it dates from my professional life where I was uh, paid by the Army to make assessments like this. You were, you were um, in the oxymoron of military intelligence. Yes, uh, strategic and tactical military intelligence analysis. Um, China is got a plan, and they like to stick with their plans. They really love their plans. They do. And, and their plan is to have their armed forces, including the Army, the Navy, and the uh, Air Force, which, by the way, it's, it's all and, one and including service. their Naval Air Force. And if you're in their Naval Air Force, you would be in the People's uh, Revolutionary Army, Navy, Air Force. Yes. It's but the Army, Navy, Everybody's Air Force. in the Army. Army, Navy, Air Force. Now, if you're in the regular Air Force, you're in the People's Revolutionary Army, Air Force. Yes. Uh, if you're in the Navy, you're in the People's Revolutionary Army, Navy. Navy. Yes. So the Army, Navy, Air Force is the nautical pilots. There's a a couple of things here that I think will play out very high probability, in my opinion, at this conjuncture. One, they're going to do it. Um, Chairman Xi rules by his reputation and strength of character. Um, And he can't afford to say, we are absolutely going to do something and then not do it. Yeah. So reputation, Um, state, uh, character, all of that comes down to face. That, and that is the translation from Chinese face. He, he, he's made it very clear. 2027 or shortly thereafter, they're going to invade Taiwan. Do I think they're going to do that? Oh, yeah, I really do. Do I think it will be financial, political, socioeconomic suicide for them to do so? Yes, I do. Uh, their economy will collapse. Um, it, it, will, it will completely crater. Now, they're The issue that I think they're depending on is they will be in a position where they think it would be suicidal for the United States to defend Taiwan, suicidal for the United States. And they'll take Taiwan without a fight as a result. That's their hope. By having a sufficiently large military, they just walk in and take it. It is very much like what Vladimir Putin wanted to do going into Ukraine. He was firmly of the opinion, and it's very clear from people who heard him make speeches to that effect, that the overwhelming force of the Russian military pouring into the center of Ukraine, the Ukrainians would collapse. By the way, the U.S. thought they would too, by the way. Um, The Ukrainians would collapse and just accept the fact that the Russians are their proper rulers. And it didn't work out that way. It worked Uh, in Crimea. It worked in Crimea. They just hit a point where it stopped working. Um, Yeah. 
the, <laughs> the point is that uh, Taiwan, first off, will defend itself vigorously. There's, there's no question about that. It, it isn't going to fold. Uh, it's mountainous. Uh, it is. It, it will be a hard fight, and they've got to come across water to do it. If we maintain our growth and readiness, believe me, our military is fully aware of the fact that they intend to invade. We should be able to stymie that attack, assist the Taiwanese quite effectively. It's going to take some political will on our part to continue to build on the military. And a very small piece of this that is it's important to recognize is a continuing resolution, which is what the House passed and will run out on November 17th, cuts the defense budget by 1%. If they do another continuing resolution, it'll cut it by another 1%. So we need a unified, focused government to be prepared. And it's a, the Chinese have to recognize that an attack on Taiwan will be suicide for them. And that's the only way they're not going to do it. Yeah. And I agree with that. That that if, if Chairman Xi is still there in 2027, then they're going to invade. And we have a couple of questions that are hanging out there. You have been all prepared to answer Tom's questions, so jump for it. Yeah, and we actually answered Rogers inadvertently a minute ago. I did <laughs> not inadvertently. I saw the question. Uh, Tom wanted to know about school bonds, and he's specifically referring to Salado, Texas, where both he and I and and Jake live. Um, about how it is that the school bond issue that we're going to be voting on in the immediate future uh, is, is going to be paid for. And I give you a very simple answer. And the simple answer is the amount of tax that's being applied to property in the Salado School District to pay bonds is already at its maximum. They will continue to do that. They will just not pay off some of the bonds early. They, so taxes, your actual assessed, your actual taxes on your property if you if you, if you pass these two bond issues, which I by the way strongly recommend get passed, um, your taxes on your property will not go up. It'll just the school will be paying longer, and which is good, which makes very good sense because they are among other things converting massive conversion of buildings with a thirty year depreciation schedule. So if you've got a thirty year bond and the building's going to last for thirty years, ideally you should pay it off over a thirty year period. Uh, and that's basically the way that they're running this: is they're going to continue with taxes at the same level, which by the way are unusually low for our school district. And uh, just use the income as it comes in. And the good side of that is the tremendous growth we're seeing in the area that is causing so many students to pour into the school system is also going to raise the property tax base for the school system, which means that that's what they'll use to pay for it with. Now, there's a detailed explanation in the Salado uh, Village Voice, the most recent edition that's out, uh, where the superintendent explained it in great, in mind-numbingly complex detail. Well, and we can... Talk about how bonds work in general. Um, a bond is a loan. It's a loan from a lot of people instead of from one institution. But if you think about what a bank is, the bank's not one thing either. It's a lot of people. Uh, usually a bank is owned by a group of people that have put money into it to fund it while deposits come in. And then they use some of the deposits to make loans and so on. Okay, so what's, what's a bond? Well, if a big, if a business wants a mortgage, say what they want to buy a piece of property and put a, it, I already own three filling stations and I want a fourth filling station. I go to a bank. It can be the small business administration working with a bank. It can be a bank in general. And you say, I want to loan 
to build a filling station. And they say, all right, well, here are the loans you have available. You're going to need to collateralize. So this land is going to be able to be taken by us if you don't make a payment on this loan. And they say, oh, okay, all right, that's fine. I'll, I'll do that. That'll lower the interest rate a bit. Because if I don't want you to be able to take it, I want a higher interest rate on my loan. Because bank doesn't want to give a low interest rate loan that they could lose everything on. So collaterals involved. So they say, all right, something different about a mortgage for a commercial entity than for personal. When you have a mortgage, just time out for a second. Mortgage is a Latin word and we don't talk about it very often. Mort means death. Gauge means measurement type or measurement ability. Mortgage means life expectancy or death expectancy. So you, you mentioned this last hour about if, if we're buying a building and over the next 30 years, it will appreciate, depreciate to nothing if we don't keep it up. That's what the word mortgage means. If you buy a house and you don't fix the roof and you don't fix the walls and you don't fix the plumbing and you don't fix the carpet, whatever, for 30 years, the property is essentially only worth what the dirt value under the house is because the house is valueless. You haven't kept it up. It is going to cost money to remove the wreck that is a house there. So the word mortgage is really important. And when you take a loan to spend the money over the life of the house, that's a reasonable debt. That's a good use of the money. You're actually using the loan to consume it as it's consumed. If you take a loan to eat your dinner, that's not good because you consumed it right now and you're going to be paying it off over the next however many months. That's not a good use of debt. Okay, so now when a school board or a Ford wants to do this at a higher level. When a filling station, a small business comes in and says, we want to do this, they don't want to give you a 30-year loan. They usually give you what's called a 10-year balloon, where you're going to be paying interest and a bit of principal on the loan all the way up to the 10-year point when you owe the whole thing back. Well, that doesn't seem reasonable. What if you don't have all the money to pay it back at that point? Well, you refinance it. That's the idea. Another 10 years on that. There's, you can see some problems when interest rates have risen over the last 10 years to be a much higher amount. Those, that loan can be very expensive. Same thing happens in the bond market. Most bonds are not issued where you're paying you're getting paid principal and interest at the same time. When you have a mortgage, you're paying back on your house. You're buying the principal and you're buying the interest that you use to buy the principal with. Uh, and you pay, pay that back in the first few years. You're not paying much towards principal at all. It's almost all interest. Well, in a bond, like from Ford or from the U.S. government, those are usually interest only. You're only if you're taking the loan out, you only have to pay the interest on it. And that's usually quarterly. Sometimes it's monthly. Um, so they pay this interest. And then at the end of the loan, the bond is a 10-year when it matures. So it feels good to say it's maturing. But what it really means is the loan comes due. Now Ford or the U.S. government has to pay you back the face value. What If you uh, if they borrowed $10,000 from you, they owe you $10,000. They paid you interest during this time. They owe that. Uh, and in a lot of cases, that's how school bonds are done. Sometimes they're amortized. They are treated like a mortgage. Uh, if you have uh, Ginny Mae or Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac loans in your portfolio, those are mortgages that are going to be paying interest and principal. And you don't want to spend all the money you make off those things because some of that's your original investment. You have to know that stuff. 
when you're getting into it. So the way bonds are paid back is listed in the contract for the loan, just like your mortgage. You can do a 15-year mortgage. You could do a five-year mortgage, or you could do a 30-year mortgage, and you have different payback types. If, if the bank can call you up and say, you owe me the whole amount back today, that's called a callable loan. And there are callable bonds. And that would mean, well, if you're going to make me pay it all back at a, the drop of a hat, then you better pay me, have me have a lower interest rate because I'm not going to pay you a high interest rate if you can then call me up and get it back. So that's all part of the negotiation. I wish there was an easy way to say these are the only variables. But loans can have some weird stuff in them like, and you'll throw in the backhoe if we have to do this. So... Um, well, I'm going to talk about, since Tom asked specifically about the school bonds, and it's it's convenient, we can illustrate some things about school bonds in Salado. Can, can we be when more general than just Salado? No, no, I'm, I'm going to. I'm okay, going good. Because the I'm going vast to majority to, of our people don't know where Salado is. I know, but the, we're going to use this to illustrate when it is a good time to borrow money. When's a good time to borrow money? Um, and this is a good time for, for the city of Salado, or not city of Salado, but the uh, Salado School District. Why? Interest rates are high. This is a terrible time to issue a bond. No, no, it's not. And the reason is, if you look at the demographics around in the Salado School District, which isn't in the village of Salado mostly, it's all over a chunk of central Texas, you will see that the population is expected to double in the near future. How do we know that? Because we know the number of buildings that have been, the, the subdivisions that are in place with building sites approved and you look at the average number of people who live in those buildings, and, and by the way, in the in the municipal planning, we call that rooftops. And we look at the number of rooftops that are coming in and the apartment buildings that are coming in, and we say, in a few years, there's going to be a lot more people in that school district. What does that mean? It The school district needs to build more buildings to accommodate not only the people that they already, the children they already have, because they do have a lot, but this surge of new children that's going to come in. Why is that important? Why don't, why don't, uh, I, for instance, I don't have any kids in the Salado school. Why should I vote for a bond? Well, because housing values in the district are largely generated by the quality of the school system in the district. That is a key, key, key element. So I expect that my paying, although I'm not actually going to be paying any more taxes, neither will anyone else, the tax, but the bond issue in the Salado School District will cause my house valuation to go up. Now, what will happen then? And this is where it gets sort of interesting. Not only will I have a greater net worth because of this bond issue, but the school district will also start to get a lot more money because a lot of houses are being built on which they will be able to levy property taxes. That's to answer Tom's question. That's how this particular bond issue is going to get paid for is more value per house and more houses to tax. So if you're in a house, your tax rate won't go up a bit. It'll stay right where it was. If you're over 65, given the, uh, if, if we pass the amendment, the constitutional amendment this year, and I think we will, that freezes school taxes for people over 65 and, and others, then your taxes won't go up, but there'll be a lot more people paying taxes and they'll be paying taxes on houses that are worth a lot more. So if you have, if you're in a business or you're whatever you're doing and you want to do something that will increase your income going forward and you borrow money to do that and you see whether the where a very clear indication is there that your income, your net income will go up because you borrowed the money. 
that is a very ideal ideal use for borrowed money. That is, and, and by the way, that's what we're seeing across the country right now. Durable goods orders are up. Uh, commercial durable goods orders are up. Um, why? Because the businesses and man- manufacturing orders are up. I don't know if you if you uh, that got buried in the news somewhere. Yeah, it normally is big stuff, but instead of going down, which is what everybody expected, as we slid into a recession at this point, durable goods orders, manufacturing orders are going up. What we're seeing is all those durable goods orders that we've been talking about for some time, which, by the way, are almost all made with borrowed money, bond issues in many cases, or bank loans. The orders are coming in to cause those durable goods that went into the businesses to produce a profit. That is the ideal situation. That is where things get better and better. And as Jake said, when is a bad time to borrow money? A bad thing to borrow money for is something which is not going to increase your productivity or your income or anything going forward. Um, you know, and and believe it or not, that is you may need a new car to keep your income up, in which case borrowing money for the new car is probably a good idea. You may need to have a house someplace near where you can get a better job or continue to be promoted in your job. In that case, it is a good idea to have that house and to borrow money for it. That's the principal thing you need to keep your eye on. And this is where people get in trouble. It's when they borrow money to do things that don't make them more effective, more efficient, or increase their income. And they keep borrowing money just for their pleasure. That is a dead end. Or when they keep borrowing money to pay off the money they owed from something else. That is deadly. And by the way, that's what China's doing right now. They're borrowing money to pay for borrowed money. Yeah. And this well, is not the, good. The United States is doing it too. Well, when, when we agree, when, when at the, at the national level, when we're running the deficit that will, we've got maturing bonds, those bonds that are 30 years old and 10 years old that are finally coming due. You know, we, we issued a bond in 1993 in October and now it's a 30 year bond. Well, now October, 2023 is here, but we're still spending more than we're making. And so what we do with that is we roll it over, we refinance it. We don't always do it at a 30 year. Sometimes we do it at a two year. Um, what were you going to add to that? Interest rates were higher in October 1993 than they are today. Correct. So that's one of the things to be aware of is that the shorter loans when they're coming due are having a greater interest rate spike. But those ones, when they're coming due, it's actually saving the saving money for the United States on those <laughs> those loans. It, so there's some other loans that, you know, the, the interest on the debt is becoming a larger and larger expense to Congress now. It's up to about 10% of the money that we spend, where just a few years ago it was 2%. Well, what's the big difference? Well, part of that is we borrowed a lot more money during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And that was both under Donald Trump and Joe Biden. It's really hard to lay blame to either side or the other. And from our perspective, from the economic view on what that was essential to our economy, where where the reason why we didn't crater into a depression is because of that. The reason why the whole world didn't is because of what we did here in the United States. So we, we pulled the rest of the world out of the pandemic dredges by spending money coming out of our pandemic lockdown. So just... Laying that out, we borrowed a bunch of money to do that. The cost will be coming due. It saved us, but it means more expenses coming up. That's always the case. We we are slowly paying down that extra amount of money that we had in all our banks, uh, 
by and large, there's more money in the bank today for the average U.S. citizen. There's significantly more money in the bank today than pre-pandemic, uh, and that's that's good news. There's a bit of there's a piece of news that was in the newsletter that I haven't seen in the midst of all the things of wars and speakers in the house and so on. Um, U.S. The U.S. economy fundamentally runs on consumer spending. We basically make stuff and import stuff. We buy it, we use it up, uh, and we get we go to work and we get paid, and we take that money and funnel it back into the economy by buying things. Which is, by the way, even though some people weirdly enough object to that and say we ought to be in an export economy where we're selling things to other people, the issue is if you're in an export economy, you're dependent upon the health of the other people. If you're in 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 Germany, is finding that out the hard way at this point. Uh, and so is China. In our economy, which is sort of a closed system, uh, we are, oh, if we can keep the consumer spending, our economy will do very, very well. And consumer spending is, is primarily retail and food services sales. And for September, they were up seven tenths of 1% from August, which is why the market started down, by the way, because everybody was afraid the Federal Reserve is going to react negatively to that. But that is like an 8.4% annualized growth rate for retail sales at the point in time when the soothsayers were saying, sooth, sooth, you will be in a recession at this point. That is phenomenal. Um, and we're starting to see that filter down into manufacturing. We're seeing it. Uh, we're seeing, and in, another thing that's really impressive to me, we're seeing prices stabilize. This is something that should be headlined. Over the last six months, retail prices have risen just a tiny, tiny, tiny amount, less than 2% uh, in, in the United States. And that includes the services, which initially were rising pretty fast. Now, if you look back a year, it's three point something. But in the last six months, we have seen disinflation. What we're seeing is inflation is effectively stopped right where the Fed wanted it to be stopped. Now, prices are still higher than they were in 2019, but so are wages, uh, which is, by the way, another voting issue that's coming come up. You're going to get the opportunity to uh, increase, give a cost of living increase to retired teachers in, in the state of Texas, which I recommend if you're in Texas. Yeah. And this is, this is a key thing. And I've had this conversation both on vacation and off when people talk about they wish the prices would go back to what they were. And I've heard this from lots of people. My response isn't that that's a bad idea. It is a question. Would you like your pay to go back to what it was as well? And I get a universal response. No, <laughs> they're making enough more money now that they're paying for it. And this is not true for fixed income people. But one of the interesting factors that, got, that has been going on is fixed income has changed recently as well. Teachers retirement system of Texas uh, is supposed to be, hey, we don't increase the your pension at all for inflation, except they have several times in the past several years increased the income for inflation. That's not something they were required to do. They did it because the places that they're investing money have done well. So, so they've been able to do it. So this is just fascinating stuff going on here. The, the world as we know it has changed. And I don't mean just inflation. The inflation came from the world changing, uh, and we can point at symptoms of the world changing that were the biggest causes of inflation. When, when Ukraine was fully invaded by Russia, 
it took all our food prices and shot them way up into the stratosphere because, as we've said many times on this program, uh, inflation is mostly in, in war times due to limited supplies. Uh, and we've never had a major war in the world that didn't lead to inflation elsewhere in the world. Never, ever. There's never been one of them. We can go back as far back as we can possibly measure, and things get more expensive during wartime, even if the war is somewhere else, especially if the war is somewhere else between major suppliers of things that we like to buy or that we sell that other people are competing with us against. What are, what are we talking about here? Oil, obviously, that's a big one. Russia's right up there with being close to number one as an exporter. And grains in general, hops, barley, wheat, corn, soy, go down that list. The two of the top three producers on each of those grains on the planet were Ukraine and Russia. Sometimes Ukraine was number one. Sometimes Russia was number one. Sometimes it was number two or number three in each of those for both of them. Well, what's the other number three? What's There's three countries involved. It's the United States. The United States is the other top producer of grain for the world besides Ukraine and Russia. Brazil's come up since then because Russia and Ukraine are having trouble shipping stuff out. What does that do to prices? Just guess. <laughs> this is the inflation that we have. And when you throw in avian flu and swine flu in the middle of it, and you got pigs being slaughtered and chickens being slaughtered and egg prices going up and people go, oh, this is horrible. I want to blame someone. And it's easiest to blame somebody you disagree with anyway. So we tend to blame if Trump was in, star in charge and you didn't like Trump, that's who you'd blame. But if Trump was in charge and, and Pelosi was the speaker, then we'd blame Pelosi. And so now Biden's in charge, and if we've got inflation, so let's blame him if you're a Republican. That's, you can't blame the Speaker of the House. No, the, the Speaker is blameless. Because there isn't point. one. There's a, <laughs> the Speaker has become unspeaking. Um, right. So when we lay that out as a economic portent, what we're talking about is that for so many years, I heard about the, the New World Order. And how horrible it was going to be. Well, that new world order is the old world order now. The movement toward open borders and free trade and, hey, we can just trade with each other and that will make wars go away. That's over. It's done. We started a trade war. We had a pandemic. Other wars started since then. The situation has completely changed. In Europe this week, uh, the Biden administration, not the president himself, but representatives of the State Department are in negotiations with the EU over metal tariffs. What metal tariffs are we talking about? Well, we're talking about the metal tariffs emplaced by the Trump administration in 2018. They were paused by the Biden administration, not taken away. He has the right to do that. He can sign a piece of paper and those tariffs go away. Instead, he paused them and they go back into place in January 1 and we're having negotiations with the European Union on what we should do to keep those that pause from going away. So Trump gave Biden uh, this wonderful negotiating tool that were Biden to say, well, it wasn't me. I didn't put it there. It's just this tariff thing, and it will come back if we don't keep it from happening. So you have to negotiate with us. It's from the perspective of United States trade policy, there's very little difference between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. I know that just shocked all the Democrats and all the Republicans because, but 
the reality is it's true. We're still in the same trade war. Uh, Biden was just as happy as Trump to be in a trade war. He's an old union guy. Goes back to the 1960s as, hey, don't come over here and trade your stuff over here. It's a populist concept. So both parties are populists when it comes to this area. Trade war. Okay, so the Biden administration has said that we'll continue to pause no matter how the negotiations go on January 1. That's the latest statement, which is kind of good because the, the Europeans would really like to have good trade with us while they're having their economy shaken by the roots by Russia. So that's good stuff. We also have a pause with South Korea, but there's a bunch of nations where we still have these convoluted and crazy trade agreements that aren't really agreements with the air quotes around them. There, you will, you, there will be taxes paid on stuff as it's imported. Uh, who pays that? Well, we do. If you buy steel to do construction, if you're buying something that's made out of steel, you're going to pay a higher price for it. It's a tariff. This is what we used to run the government on before income taxes. So as a use as a trade rule, it's like I'm going to hit my own citizens with a tax because I don't like your products. Um, it's, it's a tactic, I suppose. It definitely is going to change the way people buy things. Now I'm going to flip that because something major has just happened in China. They just announced that they are going to uh, require a specific type of export permit for graphene. What is graphene? Graphite. What is that? Well, it's, it is used as a anode in, in electric batteries, in, in lithium batteries. It's used in a lot of electronics. And specifically what's used is not the mined graphite, which is essentially pure carbon. Um, it's not the mined graphite because there's irregularities in that graphite. It has to be refined a lot more to get the little pockets of air and stuff out of it. What's, what is important here is artificially processed graphite. Well, what does that even mean? What is artificial? It's, it's real graphite. They're getting it from coal tar, from power plants that burn coal. And we mentioned this last hour. Coal is no competition against natural gas. Natural gas is so much cheaper and cleaner, and you don't get coal tar out of it. So the Chinese are converting part of their nasty byproduct into something people are willing to buy. And artificial graphene, the market for that, the industrial production of it, 98% of it in the world is done in China. And they've just said, we're shutting that off uh, in December because you guys have shut off specific types of chips to Huawei and other uh, Chinese government-controlled uh, technology firms. Because these chips, and they say it with this like, well, how could this ever happen? These chips might be used in a war. Okay, so what's the good news here? Because I've just said something that sounds pretty bad. We're moving into an age where graphene is very important to our production. The Inflation Protection Act, which is a stupid name, by the way, just I say this every time, it's the Inflation, Inflation Protection Act had absolutely nothing in it, absolutely nothing in it to fight inflation with. It's just dumb. But when, when it was passed, I talked about this. It probably shocked a lot of the conservative listeners to say that this is the way you properly build infrastructure. It isn't a, hey, we're going to give a subsidy 
on solar panels so that the production of the solar panels, you, you get some money from this every time somebody buys a solar panel. No, it was, we're going to focus on new innovations. We're going to give a big bunch of money to people that are willing to get into graphene. And in Georgia and in Arizona, a couple other places, American graphene companies are coming online. They're using money given to them by the government, but they already had new technologies that are more advanced than what's being used in China to take non-artificial graphene and refine it better or to make graphene out of the air pulling carbon out of the air to do it with, very much like we do with nitrogen. Most of the nitrogen that we use for fertiliz fertilizer doesn't come from the excrement of animals, birds, bats, or anything else anymore. It's something we pull out of the air. There's a great book out there called The Alchemy of Air. It talks about kind of the magic that we do there. Well, we're starting to do that with the carbon in the air as well. If you can make graphene out of carbon in the air, these are two birds, one stone, kind of like what the Chinese are doing with their pollution, only they're polluting a lot more than they're cleaning. Okay, so new world order is the old world order. Trade war is the most common thing. China is producing a lot of batteries. Batteries and graphite, graphene are hand in hand. They're the number one producers of lithium batteries on the planet. That's a strategic threat. That's right up there with steel and, and aluminum as far as a strategic threat. We've got to be up on building this stuff. So we're doing it. And we're doing it in a way that's going to promote profitability for companies in the United States. So that this is all buried in the news right now because there are some big things happening. The Israeli conflict, the war over there is a big deal. The, what's happening in Ukraine, it's a big deal. The fact that our government is headless at the moment as it runs in circles and, and clucks at, I don't know how they're clucking without a head, but somehow politicians can do that. Um, those are big things. There's a the other good stuff in the background. The government is not headless. Congress, the House of Representatives is. There's a difference. Okay. <laughs> the executive, the executive I'm, I'm going to say government. they're still clucking around headless because you got it. I completely agree. And it's basically the, uh, since we're using clucking and we're talking about chickens is basically the food supply to the, uh, to the chicken coop is about to be cut off yeah. by some chickens who just as soon cut it all off. I was reading some commentary, uh, people writing in, in the wall street journal celebrating and apparently their gets is, their hero gates yeah uh, um who who started this entire crisis uh said if they if they can't pass a budget then we won't spend any more money and that's good and i yeah okay that means the service servicemen and their wives and women servicemen and women and their wives and husbands and families don't get money to pay the rent they don't get money to buy food um defense contractors which there are a lot of around uh and government contractors who have spent money they normally get paid very, very slowly. In this case, they won't get paid at all, which means a lot of them will go out of business and people will lose their jobs. So the people who are celebrating the fact that the government is not going to spend money, and that includes obviously some members of Congress, I don't know that they have their heads screwed on straight. Yeah. We, we've got military service persons all over the world. They got, in many cases, they got their families back here. And you're going to say, we're going to lot, we're not going to let them buy food or pay their rent because we have an ideological commitment to cutting spending. Yeah. 
That's not how you cut spending, by the way. When you sign a contract to pay a mortgage, you say, all right, I've agreed to pay this mortgage. When you sign a contract to pay uh, an employee, you say, all right, we got it. Uh, do you have money coming in to, that you are capable of paying this? Yes. Are you going to pay it? No. Why? Well, we don't really have a reason except that we don't like stuff. And that's really where we are, is that some folks, I mean, this the ideology of what's happening right now isn't about the budget anymore. It's about power, about if a very small minority of the Republican Party can say this is the direction of the entire party. Uh, and that's what this big hoopla is over. And the Democrats are just chortling over to the side. They're not helping a bit. Uh, and not that they could. What could the Democrats do to help? They're happy that it's not their crisis this time. Um, while the Republicans are busy saying, are we going to, are we tanking our own election prospects by just sitting here and doing nothing? I don't know, but if we work with the Democrats, that'll definitely tank our election. Pro stop, stop talking about election prospects and start doing your jobs, guys. We're about out of time, though. Uh, if you would like to talk to us off the air, we do give uh, fiduciary investment advice to people of relatively high net worth. We do portfolio management as well. You can go to our uh, uh, well, you can call us, leave a voicemail during the weekend, real life people during the week locally at 254-947-1111. Uh, you can go toll free to 1-800-914-7526 uh, and leave a voicemail there as well. That's 800-914-PLAN. Our webpage is thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. Our podcasts are available anywhere you find them. You can sign up for our newsletter on our webpage. You can listen to our radio program going back a lot of years or newsletters going back a lot of years. Uh, you can email us directly at jake or jeff at tpwc.com.